tomorrow is Pastor Gary's birthday. Now, I know that even though he's flying out, he will at some point watch this video, this, uh, our service. He will. He watches it all the time. And so uh, can we do something? Can we just say, uh, I'd like to say happy birthday, on the count of three, just say happy birthday, Pastor Gary. We love you. Can we do that? One, two, three. Happy birthday, Pastor Gary. We love you. Amen. Happy birthday, Pastor. Have a great time. May this birthday be the best one ever. Amen. Praise God. Uh, do you have your, do you have some paper and a pen with a lot of ink? <laughs> Praise God. Uh, this is a teaching that I've done this before, but I just I wanted to do it on the Sunday morning. And uh, the Lord's given me a little more information regarding it over the years. And uh, in fact, this morning, the Lord just really, as I was uh, praying in the Spirit, dropped uh, some, a real nice, real great nugget into my understanding this morning that I'll, I'll touch on a little bit here. And uh, the name of the teaching is The Deception of Paul's Thorn in the Flesh. And this is an, this is an important teaching because... Um, Number one, it's going to show you that, it's going to prove to you the love, of, one of the love of God and how to release the power of God into your life in any situation. But the other side of the coin is that unfortunately, do you know that the devil gets into the mix a lot of times? And over the years, what he likes to do is he wants to water down the gospel. He wants to weaken your uh, perception or understanding of the Lord Jesus Christ and the word of God. And over the years, uh, unfortunately, through natural reasoning, some preachers and some people within the body, even those who have, I've read commentaries on this passage, and they have it wrong. I mean, just blatantly wrong. And it's just, but it's a commentary. And so if you read it, you'll think, well, these are scholars. They know, they know better. And you can read that. That's why I always say, when you read commentaries or anything, you've got to read it with the Holy Spirit. And you've got to let the Holy Spirit speak and let that resound. A lot of times I'll read something and I'll just kind of go, hmm, not sure on that. And then all of a sudden I'll read another commentary and it's like the Holy Spirit leaps on the inside. It's like, yes, that's good. And so this thing on Paul's, this uh, teaching on Paul's thorn in the flesh, the doctrine that's been over the years, I mean, generations of this have taught this incorrectly. And... Uh, so let's get into it today, and I'm sure that you're going to be, I'm going to cover some of the areas, proving to you. One of the things they think is that they say, teach that the Paul's thorn in the flesh was sickness and disease. Many will say it was eye trouble, and it was all these different types of diseases that Paul had, and three times he pleaded to the Lord for the Lord to take it away from him, and God just basically said, suck it up, Paul, deal with it. And uh, I'm, I'm here, and so just deal with it. And that is not the truth. And so... Uh, you know, a lot of times I, I do get into some Greek stuff, and today, uh, I'm going to do that today. So you just have to say, it's okay. Can you tell me that? Say, Pastor Dan, it's okay. Because we're going to follow along with you. I'm not going to make it too difficult. And don't worry when I speak a Greek word. If you didn't catch the name of the Greek word, it's okay. And just but get the meaning of it, okay? What does that Greek word mean? That's what you want to get. Did you know that our Bibles are translations? 
the original language in the Greek for the New Testament, Hebrew for the Old Testament, that is, the, that is how it was originally written down. Everything outside of that is a translation. So I like to look into the original language. I want to see, I want to see the truth, and I want to see what it's saying, and I want to get the heart of it. So that's what we're going to go into today. So uh, what I want you to do is we're going to be in 2 Corinthians 12, and so if you can turn to there and just kind of hold your... Hold your place in there, and we're going to go on to some other scriptures, but we'll keep coming back to 2 Corinthians 12, and we're going to dissect this. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10 says, Paul is speaking, And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, these this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. One thing we need to see about Paul is you need to understand that Paul uh, came from a wealthy family. Uh, He was, Paul uh, grew up studying in rabbinical studies, studied in the best schools of the day. He He was like a Harvard grad or MIT, he, w- he went to the best rabbinical schools there were. And in fact, the Bible tells us that he was trained under uh, a, guy, a rabbi by the name of Gamaliel, who was the top echelon, you could say, rabbinical brass. And so it would be natural for Paul, and I'll tell you what, if you understand uh, the culture in Paul's day and before Children up to 12 years old memorize the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. They memorized it. And then if they were going to go into rabbinical studies after 12 years old, then they started uh, learning the, the pro- Isaiah, Jeremiah, the prophets. Uh, they started getting into the Psalms and the Proverbs, memorizing. And so they put, I'm going to say this, they put us to shame today. Because a lot of Christians won't even open the Bible sometimes. Hello. But they did. And so here's Paul. He was trained under Gamaliel. It would be natural for Paul, who had so much scripture committed to memory out of the Old Testament, it would be natural for Paul to use biblical terminology that he was familiar with when he was trying to make a point to the church's that he was preaching to. Uh, The term thorn in the flesh is used four times in the Old Testament. And it's important to note that it's never used in conjunction with or to represent sickness or disease, never. So remember, here's one tool for great biblical studies. The Bible interprets the Bible. Scripture interprets Scripture, and so that will help you in your studies. 
And so let's look at the four areas where the term thorn in the flesh, uh, where these terms are used. Now, the first one is found in Numbers 33:55, And this is the Lord speaking to Moses regarding the children of Israel and uh, that, have, that need to go in and conquer and drive out the inhabitants out of the land. He said, if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then it shall be that those whom you let remain shall be irritants in your eyes and thorns in your sides, and they shall harass you in the land where you dwell. Now, this term, thorns in the sides, is this talking about sickness or disease? It's not. Who's it, what's it talking about? It's talking about Canaanites. Can you imagine having a Canaanite stuck in your eye, you know? And so they go up to say, hey, I got something in my eye. Hold, hold on. Oh, it's a Canaanite. Let me pull that out. No, it's, you know. So would the Canaanites be in their sides? No, absolutely not. As a, in other words, as a thorn would be annoying, and I'm sure if you had a sticker in your finger or a thorn and you just can't get it out, that thing is annoying. Uh, these people would be annoying as well if they weren't dealt with. Let's take a look at another one, Joshua 23, 13. And this is the Lord, this is speaking to, jo this is Joshua uh, before, just before he died. And he said, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations from, from before you, but they shall be snares and traps to you and scourges on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. Again, it's not talking about sickness and disease. It's talking about people uh, that they would be a certain annoyance. Another time is when the angel of the Lord was speaking, and it's recorded in Judges 2-3. And it says, Therefore I also said, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall be thorns in your side, and their gods shall be a snare to you. Again, speaking of an annoyance, no sickness and disease. And then the fourth one is King David speaking uh, just before he died. And it's found in 2 Samuel 23, 6. And he said, but the sons of rebellion shall all be as thorns thrust away because they cannot be taken with hands. Once again, it's talking about an annoyance. In other words, we could say that this phrase would be similar to saying today, well, they're just a pain in the neck. And so that's what this word, thorn in the flesh or thorn in the sides, they're an annoyance. Somebody's an annoyance. Without exception, and in all cases, the thorns represent people. Never once do they represent sickness or disease. Well, let's take a look at the, uh, give you an explanation for the thorn in the flesh that's found in 2 Corinthians 12. Just as the Bible clearly identifies these thorns in the flesh as personalities, Paul also identifies the personality of the thorn in the flesh that he is describing. And notice I said personality. And I, I really, uh, when I've heard different preachers talk about this and read commentaries, and they're saying, we really don't know what the thorn in the flesh, I'm thinking, well, read your Bible, it's right there. It's really clear. And so let's take a look at it and see just how clear it is. Uh, verse 7, 2 Corinthians 12, 7, Unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, 
comma, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, comma, lest I be exalted above measure. Did you see the descriptive clause there, the descriptive phrase? A messenger of Satan to buffet me. Now, this word messenger uh, in the Greek language, here we go. You don't have to remember the name, but it's angelos. And so angelos is the word that we get angel or messenger from, okay? Now, angelos is found 188 times in the New Testament. It's used 188 times. And is translated angel 181 times. And it's translated messenger seven times. All 188 times, without exception, it is referring to a being or a personality and never a thing and never sickness or disease. How many times in the Bible, I mean, we've read that where angels are messengers. Is that true? They come like when the angel appeared to Mary to tell Mary something. You know, different angels appeared to uh, Daniel and, and told Daniel some things about some future events that were going to take place. So when we think about an angel, uh, a messenger of Satan, and we put that in there, a messenger of Satan equals an angel of Satan. And if you had an angel of Satan, what would that be? A demonic spirit. Is that right? I think that's pretty, pretty easy to see. And Paul, as he's preaching, when you read through this Acts and you read through Paul's journeys, what happened? Everywhere he went, there were, the cities were stirred up, weren't they? And he went through some tough times. So what did this, what did this angel, uh, Satan, uh, this demon, come to do? Not only does Paul tell us that this thorn is a demonic spirit, but also tells us what that demon came to do, and that is to buffet me. I know that when you see that name, the word buffet, I just want to caution you that is not the word buffet. And so, uh, so if you're getting hungry right now, I probably didn't help it at all by saying that. And so, uh, but the word buffet, uh, I'm not going to tell you the word what it is in the Greek, but it simply means this. It means to strike with the fist, blow after blow, with great violence and abuse. It means repeated, repeated hitting. And so we see this word used in Mark 16, verse 65, and I'm going to read it out of the King James Version just because it uses the word buffet there. And so this is when Jesus had been arrested, and he's being interrogated by the high priest. And uh, it says, and some began to spit on him and to cover his face, in other words, to blindfold him, and to buffet him, and to say to him, prophesy. And the servants did strike him with the palms of their hands. So when you hear, if you've read this before, and you think the servants struck him with the palms of the hand, they didn't strike him one time. Because that word buffet is used. They were striking him over and over and over again. It was repeated abuse that Jesus was uh, receiving at that time. The New King James Version uses the word, instead of buffet him, it says to beat him. In the Amplified, it says to rack and buffet and harass. And so what we, by looking into the Greek, we understand that this word means to 
strike with the fist, blow after blow with great violence and abuse. Now, regarding Paul, if this buffeting, when he says that a spirit was given to, the messenger of Satan was given to him to buffet him, uh, if this buffeting was a disease, then because of the word buffet in the Greek, it would have had to be many diseases, blow after blow, or the same disease repeated many times over. And of course, we know that isn't the case. Five times the word buffet is used in the New Testament, and never once is the word used to refer to sickness or disease. Instead, it is always used in conjunction with people and personalities. Here's something interesting. Now, I'm going to get a little bit into the Greek here, a little bit of English, like grammar here, but you can do this. It's going to be real simple, so don't put a wall up when you hear the word verb. Don't put a wall up and say, no, nah, I don't want to go back to school. And so just hold on and listen to what I'm saying. You're going to get this, okay? This word buffet. Also, it's a verb in the Greek, and here's what it means. I, I was amazed when I saw this. It's in the third person. So if buffeting was a sickness, how could it be in the third person? So that tells us something about it right there, that it can't be a sickness or a thing. It's a person, because it's in the third person tense. And so being in the third person, you could add the personal pronoun he into it. And it would read this way, a messenger, a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan that me, he, might buffet. Also, since it's in the third person, it cannot, I already said this, since it cannot be sickness, but what I also discovered that would add to the explanation of the word buffeting is it's also in the present tense, which means a continual action, a continual buffeting. And it's also in the, no, no don't, don't check out on me with this one. It's also in the subjunctive mood. I know that doesn't mean anything to you, but in the Greek, it may, it, subjunctive mood adds wish, hope, and intentions. So how could a sickness have a wish? How could sickness have a hope? If it is sickness, then how could sickness have intentions? How could sickness have a mind that could think it through and know what it wants to do and plan an attack? Sickness simply cannot do that. So what I'm trying to prove to you today is that it's, we can see clearly that it is not sickness and disease, and it was absolutely a demonic spirit. Paul was persecuted many times by people who did not like or agree with the gospel message that he was bringing forth, and of course, stirring up riots in many of the towns he went to preach. In fact, you'll read in Acts, you'll see that he goes to one town, and I mean, he's you know, he's stoned and left for dead, and then all of a sudden he goes to another town, and they receive the gospel, but the people in the previous town heard that he was in that town, so what'd they do? They came to where he was, and then they stirred up the crowds there. So you can see that this demon, demonic spirit, was working through people to try to hinder the gospel message from going forth. At Paul's conversion, having been blinded on the road to Damascus, the Lord told a, a believer by the name of Ananias to go and lay hands on Paul and that he would uh, give him his sight back and would give him insight into the ministry 
that the Lord had called Paul into. And so we read that in Acts 9, 16. And the Lord said, For I will show him, Paul, how many things he will suffer or endure for my name's sake. The Lord knew that Paul's calling would bring about great persecution in preaching the good news. After all, he was telling the people how to use the name of Jesus, how to heal the sick, how to cast out demons. He was uprooting the works of the devil and that Jesus is the Christ or the Messiah, the anointed one. Of course, the enemy or the devil did not like that kind of light coming into the earth. Effects of the messenger of Satan at work would be uh, buffeting without the mention of sickness. We covered that. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 11, uh, 23 through 28. And here's the hardships when you think about buffeting. Now, I want you to remember, we're talking about buffeting here. Blow after blow after blow. We're going to read about Paul's hardships, and he records some of these for us to see this buffeting in action. He says, in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often, from the Jews five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Besides the other thing, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. How many of you want to go into ministry? <laughs> and so you can see that when the Lord brought the calling to Paul and told him what he's going to do. Remember, Paul is bringing the revelation of the new birth. You know, what, like two-thirds of the New Testament was written by Paul, just about. And so what we have today that is still preaching throughout the world, Paul's words. And so the devil was trying to stop what he was bringing forth. So Paul speaks of problems, tests, tribulations, persecutions, but never once did he mention sickness or disease. Now, I'm not saying that Paul was never sick. However, he did not ever have a sickness that God refused to heal. This is contrary for people saying that the Lord would say, no, I'm not going to heal you. That is contrary to the work of redemption and the covenant of grace. Well, where do these misconceptions come from then? When people say Paul had a sickness and a disease and God wouldn't heal him, where do these come from? Did they just make it up? No, they didn't. And I'm going to show you in the scripture where the, where the misunderstanding uh, where I believe it, came, it, it came, came from. So let's take a look at um, 2 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10. And so he, Paul's talking about the thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan. He says, concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he, the Lord, said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. You had to underline that word sufficient. We're going to talk about that in just a second. My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength 
is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Uh, that word, number one, I want to look at that word uh, uh, sufficient. And so that word sufficient means this. I mean, when in the English, they, I wish they wouldn't have translated it as sufficient because it has such a deep meaning to it. And this word literally means to ward off and to raise up a barrier. Wow. And so what is God saying here? My grace will ward off all opposition and it will raise up a barrier for you. Whew. That's a lot better than sufficient, isn't it? Yeah. This wrong doctrine of the thorn as sickness and God not healing him comes from the misunderstanding of the, of the words infirmities. When I read those words infirmities, what did you think of? You may have thought of sickness and disease. Because uh, after all, we have places called infirmaries, don't we? And what, well, who's in an infirmary? Sick people. That's where you take a sick person, to the infirmary. And so that word infirmities in our mindset means sickness and disease. However, what we need to understand is that the word translate the words that are translated weakness, weak, and infirmities are all the same Greek word. They're all the one word, asthenia. And so this word asthenia uh, comes from a word stenos, which means strength. And then when you put an A in front of it, it means the opposite. Much like the English language. You have typical and then atypical. And so when you put an A in front of it, it means weakness instead of strength. And so the word literally means that. It's a literal translation of the word and that means weakness. And in other words, not being able to do something in your own strength, no matter what kind of weakness it may be. Paul discovered a key to moving in the power of God, recognizing his own weakness and limitations and expecting the grace or gift of God's strength and power to his people. In verse 9, it says, Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities or weaknesses that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Have you ever been in a situation where you feel like you're at the end of your rope? You feel like, I remember years ago when I first came to the Lord, I was dealing with some physical issues and different things. I mean, I had, I had no money, and I was just getting buffeted with an expense after an expense after an expense, and it was just one thing after. I was a single parent raising two kids. I was bringing home a whole, are you ready for this? A whole whopping $100 a week. Pooh, praise God. And, uh, you know, I'm having to buy groceries and pay utility bills and everything else on that $100 a week. And, I mean, I just had no money. I mean, it was, we were... Thank God uh, the Lord took us through it. I won't get into how he did it. But there was times where I remember walking, taking a walk during the day, and just under so much duress and stress of all this stuff, I felt like I had the weight of the world on my shoulders. And I remember I said to the Lord, Lord, don't you see what's going on? 
I'm at the end of my rope. And all of a sudden I heard the Lord say, good, take hold of mine. <laughs> take hold of mine. And so what the Lord was trying to tell me is what exactly Paul was talking about. That weakness, we see it as a problem, and it's actually the doorway to the blessings of God, where his strength is poured out. Paul was really saying, I will gladly glory in my inability to control the situation so that self is out of the way, and Christ, the anointed one, is exalted. Then I can count on the anointing and go forward in his power. Uh, the other day I was doing my journaling and uh, we were in Romans and I have a group of guys that I meet with every day on Zoom and we journal, to, and, we journal and talk about our journaling together. And uh, I noticed Romans 8.26 that says, uh, likewise the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. And when I saw that word weaknesses, I looked it up, and of course it's the same word, asthenia, the same word that's used in 2 Corinthians 12 here uh, in Paul's thorn in the flesh, what he's talking about. And all of a sudden I saw the connection. And of course that scripture that I just quoted, Romans 8.26, is talking about praying in the Spirit. And it's talking about somebody who's baptized with the Holy Spirit, Thank God Pastor Gary just preached that, has been preaching to us about the baptism with the Holy Spirit. But it's that power of through praying in the Holy Spirit that taps in to that strength when we are in a weak place in life. And so what's interesting is that the book of 2 Corinthians was written at about 56 AD and um, Romans was written in 57 AD. And so you see that where Paul actually learned this lesson that he's telling us about in 2 Corinthians 12, how he learned that in his weakness about praying in the Spirit and, and tapping into the Lord's strength is the key to victory and unlocking the power of God in our lives. And so it is, it is, so, uh, it is so tremendous anyway. So I want to encourage you to, uh, if you're not baptized with the Holy Spirit, to ask the Holy Spirit to baptize you and give you that prayer language. It is so beautiful. It is so uh, wonderful. And we can see here that it unlocks. It's a key to unlocking uh, the power of God in our life and raising up a barrier uh, and to ward off the attacks of the enemy. That word anointing that I just spoke is basically says this. This is a good, a good term for you to write down, the anointing. God on flesh doing those things that flesh cannot accomplish. God on flesh doing those things that flesh cannot accomplish. And I'll tell you, that comes through the baptism with the Holy Spirit. That's one of the areas. Many think this block of Scripture is talking about... Uh, that we're reading for, uh, in uh, 2 Corinthians uh, 12. Uh, many people think that block of Scripture is talking about sickness due to the word infirmities that I just said in verse 9. And since the word weaknesses and, firm and infirmities are the same word, asthenia, then let's, let's have a little fun with this. Let's substitute the word sickness for the word infirmity and weakness and see how it sounds, okay? 
Uh, and this is, uh, this is 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my sickness that the power of Christ might rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in sickness and in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, and in diseases for Christ's sake. I mean, distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am sick, then I am strong. Does that make sense to anybody? Because I don't know about you, but I've been pretty sick. I'm sure you have too. And when I've been sick, I did not feel strong. That was not strong at all. I wanted to get rid of that thing. I was weak, and I didn't feel like doing anything. It doesn't make any sense. The, the translator should have translated these words as weakness and weak instead of infirmities. It would have taken, gotten rid of a lot of uh, confusion if they would have done that. Well, let's see how Paul matures in this understanding when the Lord said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. In 2 Corinthians 12, 8 through 9, he said, concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my strength is made perfect in weakness. This word grace means this. We've heard the word grace mean God's unmerited favor given to man. And that is a good descriptor of that, description of that. However, it means more than that. And so we have to add something into it because it also means God's willingness to use his power and his ability on our behalf, even though in the natural we don't deserve it. It's a gift of, and here's the word, empowerment. And you'll see this when it talks about Jesus. It says great grace was upon Jesus. Now, did he des was that God's unmerited favor on Jesus? If anybody deserved it, it would be Jesus. Amen? And so it has to be more than unmerited favor. And we see if you'll read through and do a study on grace, you'll come up with empowerment. The word of God is his grace given to us. And we see this in John 1.14 when it says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. It tells us that the word is full of grace and truth. <clears throat> and also in verse 17 in that same chapter, it says grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, who is the living word. The Lord was saying to Paul, my willingness to use my power and my ability on your behalf is more than sufficient for you. It will more than raise up a barrier and assist you and ward off trouble. I am willing to back you up with my ability, but you need to first take the authority that I've made available to you and resist the enemy. I'm just going to give you three scriptures to write down. Okay, we're not going to go over them, but you can look at This is talking about authority over the enemy, Luke 10, 19, and 20. And uh, also, I want to caution you that when you read Luke 10, 19, you'll know that scripture. Behold, I give you the authority, trample on serpents and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing by shame enemy and hurt you. And then it says, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice that your names are written in heaven. But don't miss that little bracketed statement in the middle that the spirits are subject to you. That's the authority that has been given to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. Also, another one is James 4, 7, submit yourselves to God, resist the devil and flee from him. And the next one is Mark eleven twenty three: 23, whosoever, 
whosoever shall say to this mountain, be thou removed, be cast into the sea, turn it down in his heart, but shall believe that those things will come to pass, he will have whatever he says. And so those three scriptures there, Luke 10, 19, and 20, James 4, 7, and Mark 11, 23, are talking about the authority uh, that's been given to the church to, to, for us to believers. And so uh, what, remember, this is a demonic spirit that is coming against Paul. And so what the Lord was saying when he said, my grace is sufficient for you. I mean, think about the grace of God. This word that we have right here, this is God's grace. It's a gift. The word grace, karis, uh, literally means a gift. And so you can say the Holy Spirit is a karis, is a gift to us. The word of God is a gift to us. Salvation is a gift to us. The authority of the Lord Jesus Christ is a gift to us. That use it, it, our right to use the name of Jesus is a gift to us, is a cadiz to us. And so what the Lord was saying to Paul is, Paul, take the word and act upon it. Take the authority and come against this enemy. Now I'm going to make a statement, and it may sound a little harsh, but it's true nonetheless, and it may, it's this. If Paul didn't resist the devil by taking authority over this messenger of Satan, then God wouldn't. Because he's given man the dominion, and he gave the church the authority in his name. Uh, Matthew 16, 19 says this, And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. The shed blood of Jesus, the covenant, is a finished work. We must act upon the finished work, the word, if we're going to get results. Would you agree with that? This allows God's power to function in our behalf. Failing to do so allows the devil's plans to succeed against us. God's grace, his empowerment, his word, and delegated authority are absolutely sufficient for us. Well, why did the enemy come to Paul? In 2 Corinthians 12, 7, it says this, Unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Tradition tells us, you'll read this in some commentaries, tradition will tell us that Paul was prideful, and so God wanted to keep Paul humble, so God put sickness and disease on Paul to keep him humble because he was getting a little too cocky and wanted to crack him down a little bit. Is that true? Let's find out. Uh, this word exalted literally means this. It means, it's a word, uh, I'm, I'm going I'm to give you the word, but don't get lost on it, okay? Hooper I Romai. And so, Hooper I Romai. And so, uh, don't, don't even try to write it down, just understand what it means, okay? And it's a dual compound word because a lot of words are triple compound words where they take three Greek words and put them together or two words put together. I love the Greek language because it's words put together and they tell a story. And so I love the language. And so, hooper aromai, hooper means this, up, over, above, okay? The word airo, A-I-R-O, means to lift up, to raise up, uh, to lift up and over, Okay, so a partial form of this word is used in John 3, 14. Listen to this. And as Moses lifted up, there it is, 
the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up over and above. And so the ex here's the explanation of this section of scripture that we just read. Exalted or raised above measure, Paul was, Paul was be, because of the gospel measure, the gospel message, Paul was being raised above the standard understanding of the day. He was being raised above with the truth of the new, of the new birth of the church of the church age. He's being raised up above what people were used to thinking, in other words, the religious norm. When we get true Bible understanding, we speak with the passion of God and people begin to take note. They sense the genuine anointing of God which removes burdens and destroys yokes. That's found in Isaiah 10, 27. In other words, people get set free when we bring the gospel message to them. The enemy came because of the revelations of the word, the revelations of the gospel to Paul. And so that's why the enemy came, to keep Paul from being lifted up in man's eyes of having a great revelation and understanding that they needed to listen to. Know this. If you're being buffeted because of your faith, it's a confirmation that you're on the right track. Because if you weren't, he would leave you alone and just, you, and just allow you to go in the wrong direction and you therefore would become your own worst enemy. When you're being buffeted, what do you need to do? Take the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, take dominion, and then begin to praise the Lord and worship him, and then go forward in life. God didn't put sickness on Paul to keep him from pride. Guess what? God doesn't have any sickness to use. Paul had a revelation of the new birth and the benefits given to us, the church, and the devil was afraid that all who heard it would actually believe it. And that's exactly what happened. With that understanding, we could translate verse 7 as this. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations regarding the new birth and exalted to the point where the world would have received this gospel as truth, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me in an attempt to hold me down lest I be lifted up and received by men above the measure of the norm. It makes no sense for God to give the revelation of the new birth to Paul and then send the devil to hinder him from preaching it. Does that make sense to you? That doesn't make any sense to me. It's God's will for all to be saved. 2 Peter 3.9 tells us that. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Well, Here's the conclusion. How did things work out for Paul after this, after this time of pleading to God three times? How did things work out for him? We find this at the very end of the book of Acts. Acts 28, 30 through 31. Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house 
and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. He got a hold of it, didn't he? And he, when he went to Rome, and Rome was one of the most sinful cities around. And when he went to Rome, he was able to preach in this pagan, this pagan surroundings, this pagan culture, and he was able to preach the word with absolutely no hindrance whatsoever. For the first time since the preaching at Antioch, he had freedom to preach to all who came to him with no one forbidding him. God shows no favoritism. If it worked for Paul, guess what? It'll work for you. It works for me. Amen. Now, in hearing that, I want to just tell you, it doesn't mean you're not going to ever be challenged. It doesn't mean you're ever, never going to go through another problem again. What it does mean is when problems come, do what I do. I just tell the devil, are you sure you want to do this? Because <laughs> you're just going to give me another preaching story. Are you sure you want to do this? Come on, bring it on if you want to, but I'm just going to get another revelation. And every time the enemy raises his ugly head up against me, you know what I tell the Lord? You can use this if you want. This is just me. This is, the, this is my personality, okay? I just tell the Lord, I said, Lord, let's make him eat it. I say, shove it down his throat and then twist it a little bit and then kind of pump it like you're doing a plunger in the toilet. Just plunge that thing and twist it. I said, just make him choke on it. Because he's coming against your son, Lord. And then give me revelation on this thing. Amen? Amen. Use that. It's good. I'm telling you. <laughs> you know what? That's being on the victory side. That's knowing who you are in Christ and not allowing the devil who's, who is defeated. The Bible tells us that he's under our feet. But a lot of times the church, we cower because we don't know who we are in Christ and we don't know the authority that's been given to us. And we see that that very same thing was happening to Paul when he said three times he pleaded with the Lord. I can understand why Paul did that. He was tired of preaching in those conditions. I got it. But the Lord, you hear God's answer and said, my grace is sufficient for you. All that I've given to you, all that I'm teaching you, come on, get up on it. And uh, all of a sudden, you see that tool of praying in the Spirit, as Paul mentions that in Romans 8, 26, and what a blessing that was in Paul's life that took him over and above, that brought forth the power of God in him recognizing, I don't have to control this. I don't have to manipulate the situation. I can do this in God's strength. And I can be sensitive to the Lord and pray in the Spirit and let the Holy Spirit's power be uh, brought forth. And you'll see change take place in your life. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we give you praise and we thank you, Lord, for all that you've shown us today. Lord, we thank you for the truth of the Word. Lord, it's fun to study the Word. It's fun to get into the Word and see the depths and the understanding that you have there for us. And Lord, we thank you. Holy Spirit, we honor you today. And we thank you for your presence in each one of our lives. Lord, when we come into hardship in life, you're right there with us, Lord. To keep us on that victory side, to keep us walking in love, and keep us walking in honor toward other people. But Lord, you've given us such great tools, gifts given to us, uh, so that your church can be on the victory, but also the same love, the same compassion that you have for each one of us, we can have for others. 
and we can help them with the revelation of victory that you've given to us and help others to come up into that victory as well. And Lord, we give you the praise and we thank you for all that you're doing in our lives. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen.